while the king is escaping, somehow Princess Nike gets on the tallest bell tower in the city. Which, by the way, she doesn't wear pants, and I really want to give this girl a pair of pants. Because her, her dress thing is real short. It's real short. <laughs> I'm going to start I'm gonna start a charity for give these girls pants. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways. You just listened to the song Beautiful World from the anime Sore Demo Sekaiwa Utsukushi by the artist Joanna Kolke. I'm Chiaki, and this is episode 227 of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, where our sole mission is. To make your anime addiction worse. Why, thank you, Cram. As, You're welcome. As those of you listening can tell, I am joined by Cram, who is live in Japan. That's right. It's a beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning for me, uh, 10, 1030 to be exact. Is oh, it? we're on time this week. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Funny. Chiaki drives the show and we're on time. Does this say something? Wow. Mutiny. <laughs> Mutiny. No, I'm secretly <laughs> panicking inside. Um, you can find us at aaapodcast.com, iTunes, Facebook, and Ustream, where we broadcast live every Saturday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or for Cram, 10.30 a.m. on JST, Sunday. JST, yeah. JST. <laughs> <laughs> oh, International Dateline. Awesome. It is awesome. And as always, thank you all of you who joined us for the live show. It's a very exciting. So we had a five-star review. Would you like to read that for us, Cram? Sure. This comes from Dunk Nuggets, and Dunk Nuggets writes: After being an anime fan for my recollective life, I thought I would delve into the world of podcasts to fix my anime addiction. Listening to a few different podcasts, most were all about comedic value and seemed a bit too much for my tastes. I saw someone recommend Anime Addicts Anonymous as a more serious podcast with humorous elements, so I took a listen. My first time listening was a breath of fresh air. Finally, I found a podcast worth my time, and it does make me laugh, too. Now I have listened to several episodes and cannot get enough. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That was, that was great. I feel good inside. Warm I, and fuzzy. I love reading five-star reviews off iTunes because like, they just brighten your day. It's a ray of sunshine. I like, I like reading the one-star reviews. <laughs> Cram is too bald. Do we have a review like that? I don't think so. Oh, oh! I thought yeah. that was real. I was gonna say, wow. You are. <laughs> we might now, though. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
New forum members, welcome to the forum, Chris Kudol and Omnis. I don't really have a name of the week of those two. Uh, Chris Kudol, because they used a Z, and that's uh, not so common, I guess. I guess I'll take Omnis then. One is as, right. as good by as default. the other. Yeah, sure. by default. All right, trivia. The answer to trivia this week was Shinjuku Station in Tokyo. That anime was Biosco 5 centimeter per second, for those of you who are wondering that. But you didn't have, you weren't supposed to answer the anime. You were supposed to answer the location. Those who got that correct were Takyora 77, The Count, Is No Try, Opai for Senpai, Chapter 9, Shakespeare, and Bo Bob 101. The, week, the winner for the week was Chapter 9. And we're still on our Japan scenes, so don't think that you can answer the trivia by just saying the anime, because, because you can't. Because we won't accept it, and we'll throw it into the fires of Moe Hell. Oh, wow. Did, I sounded like Mitsugi there, didn't I? Whoa, Cram, are you an acolyte of the church? Uh, not yet. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm getting there. You're getting there. It's time for an almighty anime mailbag. Anime. 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 M -m -m mailbag. Bag, 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 bag. All right. It's time for a mailbag. Would you like to read the first one, Cram, or do you want me to? Sure, I'll do it. All uh, right. The first one comes from Absent Minded Osaka. And this person writes, Hello there, fellow addicts. I have a quick question regarding the two new releases from Ghibli this year. Oh, this I guess this is an old mailbag, isn't it? Well. <laughs> how, do you think, uh, how do you think these movies will be met by the Western audience and their critics, box office-wise and critically? I've already seen The Wind Rises, loved it, but something tells me it will never get the big release over here as some of the more kid-friendly Ghibli films. Also, I'm celebrating Christmas in Tokyo. Do you think I'd be able to enjoy Kaguya Hime no Monogatari even if I don't understand Japanese? I'm fairly certain it won't get a release where I live, so I'm afraid to miss it on the big screen. It's such a simple story, so maybe. I feel um, I feel bad that we didn't screen this mailbag better. <laughs> yeah, we could we could have met up with a uh, with this listener. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, actually, the this is an old uh, email, as everyone can tell. Uh, the Wind Rises did get a, a wide theatrical release, which means 600 or more screens in North America, and that started on February 28th of this year, so it's been uh, several months ago now. Uh, the distribution was handled by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures via their Touchstone Pictures label. Now, The Tale of Princess Kaguya will receive a North American distribution by G-Kids, and it will feature an all-new English dub, and the release is slated for fall 2014, but the details of the release, uh, whether it's going to be theatrical or home video, have not been announced yet. So I, I don't even know where absent-minded Osaka lives. So assuming it's North America, I imagine you'll have an opportunity to see uh, The Tale of Princess Kaguya when it, um, when it hits store shelves or theaters, depending on how G-Kids decides to handle it. Now, um, to maybe make it relevant even though it's a little bit late. For those of you who are still wondering if you get your hands on a copy of Kaguya Hime no Monogatari. Is that, was that really the Japanese title? I just call it Kaguya yeah. Hime so often that I forgot yeah. the full title. Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, if you get your hands on a copy of the film and for some reason it isn't subtitled, I would still say a loose answer of, yeah, you probably could still understand this film for the most part without knowing a, any Japanese. It is very visual. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's, uh, that's one of its strengths actually. So uh, I, would, um, I would be surprised if you couldn't understand what was going on just by watching it. 
and it's it's very true to the original tale of the bamboo cutter so i think that if you read that story first that folk tale it'll help you leaps and bounds in understanding the film oh yeah absolutely the next mailbag comes from righteous ramza I was wonder th- wondering about the disparity between how anime characters drink and how the actual Japanese drink. In most anime I've seen, they seem to be of the two drinks and hit the floor variety. My trip to Tokyo 2011 confirmed this, but according to one of your older podcasts, you all say they can drink an American under the table. Seems like an explanation is in order. I don't know where you were drinking, but I stand by the fact that all of my Japanese friends, for the most part, unless they just don't drink type people, but all of my Japanese friends who drink can drink yeah i I mean of course it depends on the person i've 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 met people before that have like a beer like not even like a spirit or a liquor or anything like that they have a beer and they're falling all over the place um i think that might be put on but you know again it's not there's no black and white it's yeah there are many many shades of gray some would say some would say 50 shades of gray oh that's a whole other topic it is i would say where what I what I've said comes from is drinking culture, especially among white class businessmen, is really big here in Japan. Drinking culture is a huge part of the business culture, and there's generally an accepted thing where people go out and they drink, and you do it after work, and you do a lot of it, and so some they're of those obligated to it's some people don't even like it but they're yeah. obligated to as though it's a, a work duty exactly and so when you do it enough you get a tolerance now i think what cram is saying about people putting it on the reason why i think that also has uh, val- validity to it is that there's this kind of i've i've heard it before and i've never seen it in practice but there's this cultural kind of unspoken rule that if you're out drinking with your friends or with your coworkers and you're like two drinks in, you're considered under the influence enough that you can be honest, you can show your inside face and say what you really think. And that's not something that Japanese people get to do very often. So I could see Japanese people kind of putting on that front for the sake of, I don't know, having the opportunity to say... Yeah, you expediting smell. that that process to uh to get to you know talk openly. Yeah. Oh, I've had a beer. I'm so drunk. Now yeah. I can tell you that shirt is ugly. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that isn't ugly though is philanthropy. And did did you like that segue right there, Cram? That was great. It was smooth. Smooth Thank as you. butter. Smooth as butter. Probably not so smooth since I pointed it out. But <laughs> while we're talking about philanthropy on the podcast, we had a really cool initiative approach, approach us, and they're called IOTA Soul. That's I-O-T-A space S-O-U-L. So soul spelled how you think it would be. And it's a philanthropy initiative that helps orphans and underprivileged children of the world. And the reason why this comes back to anime is the creator of the project is trying to raise this awareness through a manga and anime tie-in that he's kind of working on. And Mitsugi sat down with the person behind Iota Soul and had a nice conversation with him. The full interview will be on our RSS feed release later. So we just have a portion of it to give you an idea of what it's all about. My name is Mitsugi, and I'm here speaking with Jason Moody of iotasoul.com. That's I-O-T-A soul.com. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? So you're here to represent your project, Iota Soul. 
can you tell us a little bit about about your project, starting with with your website and how people can you know become more familiar with your work? Sure, absolutely. We actually, as confusing as this may be, we actually have two two websites. Um, we have iotasoul.com, which is more of a uh, community uh, kind of based. It's more of like where we're going to kind of keep fans up to date on the project. We really want to be just. Um, we want the production of the first the first season to just be like open for fans. We're actually wanting to get fans involved, so we have a forum on the website where uh, people, aspiring voice actors, can go on there, and we're gonna let them basically, uh, you know, do tests for us. And like, if they want to be a part of the project, they can kind of get their voice out there, and we'll oh, give really? them small roles. Can you um, uh, can you confirm or can you confirm any names yet or? Um, well, yeah, I, I can, I actually have a confirmation from Johnny Young Bosch, who is going to be voicing one of the main characters that he did for those who don't know. I'm sure everybody on your, yeah. your, your viewership knows, yeah, but, uh, yeah, he was the voice of Ichigo from Bleach and he's, uh, Ash from, or I'm sorry, Vash from, uh, uh, Trigun. And, and so he's, he's, I've been emailing him and he gave me a confirmation. He's excited about the project. He, he, he definitely likes the, the purpose and the mission behind it. So great. Um, and then, and, and I, I, man, I'm, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have uh, Vic's last name right, but Vic Mignana. Mignana. Okay. So, um, I've got, I've actually got a pretty strong confirmation from him as well. He seemed very excited and he's going to work with us and, and provide some voice work. But well, on top a, of that, Vic's a nice yeah, guy. So I'm not surprised that, that he wants to help you out with your, uh, yeah, yeah. Vic your is cool. Philanthropic with your philanthropic efforts. So Jason, can you tell us a little bit of, about the story of Iota soul and what the purpose is behind the project? Like what is your mission? Exactly? Sure. Sure. Um, and, and, and that actually goes to the other website, Iota info. Um, and that, kind of that tackles that kind of delivers more of the information on more of our heart and our vision and our mission um and that that really comes out of a place of um just having a heart for abandoned children having a heart for for uh kids that you know are are literally lost or invisible in this world um and that's where our where our subtitle comes from shadow shadow children um and there's a there's a really great documentary a few years ago called Invisible Children um, that I saw and was really moved by and have have had a heart for that for that since then you know just orphans and 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 working with orphans and so um, I was contacted um, by a, a guy named Tony Bradshaw who's actually kind of the the guy who started Iota Soul um, he works for Dave Ramsey out of Nashville and he saw my work on Scarlet Veronica and he contacted me and said, Hey, I really like your stuff. Uh, I have this, I have this project and he told me about it and I was just like, oh. yeah, I'm like, dude, you're speaking right to my heart. This sounds amazing. Yeah. So that, so that sort of leads me into one of the, one of my next questions for you. And that's in what way do you aim to support the worldwide orphans and the other causes that you have just so people know how they, how they can contribute to your to your yeah. causes, to your manga. Can you can you elaborate a little bit more on on that? Absolutely. Um, it, it's really twofold, and 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 you know, one goes back to what I kind of just spoke to, um, and it's by interactively highlighting and putting 
viewers and readers in contact with organizations that grip their heart. And, and so kind of taking some of, some of these foundations that otherwise may not have the kind of exposure in the area that we're trying to reach, you know, the, the people that we're trying to reach with what we're doing, you know, these foundations may not have that same kind of exposure uh, otherwise. And so um, what we're trying to do is take it to a brand new audience and, and then interactively, uh, interactively show people and, and grit people and, and say, hey, here's how you can get involved. Right. Um, and then, and then another, you know, the other way is, you know, everything, you know, we're, we're, we're aiming to be a, you know, we don't want to sell this comic. I don't, I don't ever want to, I'm not looking to make money at all. Right. Um, we're not looking to get rich. Uh, we're looking to help. And so, um, aside from operating costs of actually, you know, cause conventions cost money and, and some of that stuff, aside from some of those basic operating costs, I mean, we're going to be putting what we make in terms of the profit back in. Okay, and so it's going to be going back to foundations, and, right. and, and we're going to be working with organizations, and um, we've already partnered with a few, and so that'll be all donated. Okay, that'll so, be all. So, yeah. so just so just so everybody's clear, you're you're running a nonprofit organization where all of the proceeds beyond what you need to continue functioning are going to be donated to good causes that people can yes. uh, to specifically donate money to. So. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Just so people get get excited and get and get interested in in your story and in your manga, can you tell us the story of Iota Soul uh, up and, you know, maybe with with without a bunch of spoilers, you know? Okay. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just kind of give a little there's a company called Stella Ryan. It's a philanthropic uh big company that's working on world energy and and they 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 build all these uh you know uh, water purification systems for countries that they can't get water um but underneath it all there's there's a there's a blackness to it and they're, they're called stella ryan and and um they're they're being controlled by darker powers if you will and um they're they're big way to get a clean renewable energy is they discover this energy that's called the iota soul and it's a soul it's a soul energy that they discover it comes from the other side the east or whatever you want to call it um and they figure out how to tap into it and the only way that you can tap into it is through human souls um basically like batteries that charge and they can they they end up discovering that they can pull about you know one point one point twenty one petajoules a second uh, through, and they find out that the best battery is a child. Um, and so they, you know, they, they do their dirty work and they go and they kidnap kids from unwanted oh, children. See. They go for yeah. kids that won't be missed. Kids that nobody's going to notice are gone. Um, and, and these are orphans. And so these kids are then taken to these facilities, experimented on, um, used as batteries, but there's a handful that the energy just doesn't it doesn't go through. It doesn't work. And so they kick him back out to the curb. They throw him back out. What the company doesn't know is, is these kids, the reason that the energy wasn't flowing through is because their souls were actually charging up and holding the energy. And so they developed these abilities, these powers, and they're able uh-huh. to f- fight back and help other orphans. And they go to these, all these facilities around the world and they take them down, and that's kind of where the story really—all that what I, I told you—is really backstory to get into this kind of fun adventure. And along the way, we'll tell a lot of 
other orphan stories because these kids are compelled to help other orphans. Hey, hey, well, I, well, I'll tell so. you, I tell you what, that is some compelling, some compelling backstory. Okay, well, thank you very much. I am um, looking forward to to maybe talking to you again in the future, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank so, you very much, man. And we'll we'll talk to you again. Thanks for coming on. All right. So once again, that was Iota Soul, I-O-T-A-S-O-U-L. You can find them at iotasoul.com. And it's great to see, well, as they say, anime with a cause, anime with a purpose. So just goes to show you that something that you love can do something good at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. So we are going to take a short anime news break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about a studio spotlight. We're going to be spotlighting Studio Bones. Then we have our final round of impressions. We have The World is Still Beautiful, M3, Breakblade, and Knights of Sidonia, all to impress. Nothing you want to miss. But while we are going to be on our break, we're going to have a poll. Our question is, what anime studio would you like to us to spotlight next? Kyoto Animation, Toei Animation, Madhouse Studios... Studio Perot, or something else. Let us know what you think, and we'll be back soon. Hail you anime addicts, this is Chiaki, and this is your anime news break. First up, for those of you who are fans of the Magi franchise, Magi Adventure of Sinbad anime spinoff has debuted with a trailer. Shogakukan's web Sunday site has begun streaming a 30-second commercial for the OVA of the spinoff manga Mangi Sinbad no Bolken, or The Adventure of Sinbad. You can find the trailer on YouTube. It translates out roughly to Sinbad saying, Waves, this current is hell, let's take it, it's a thing we can overcome. It's a prologue before Magi. While you're on YouTube, if you're interested, there's another thing that I recommend checking out that's pretty cool looking. It's two years after planning and shooting, and it's an, the Akira project has been unveiled. It started all the way back in June 2012 with a crowdfunding campaign. The Akira product aimed to create a live-action fan trailer of Katsuhiro Otomo's classic film, Akira. The trailer is really good-looking, and I strongly recommend checking it out on YouTube. Unfortunately, there is no plans on making it into, into a full feature-length film by the same crew, finishing just with the trailer, but it's still pretty cool to look at. In other news, the July issue of Seisha's 5 Jump magazine has announced that Bandai Namco Games is making a new Dragon Ball project for the Sony PS4, as well as the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 if you don't happen to have a PS4. The untitled game will be the first Dragon Ball title and the first Jump title for the PlayStation 4. In other news, for you Hatsune Miku fans out there, the finalists for the 2015 Snow Miku costume design have been chosen. Voting will take place. The year's themes was Plants of Winter in Hokkaido. Fans were asked to submit designs for both Hatsune Miku and her rabbit friend named Yukine. 
There are four Snowmiku finalists and you can find photos of all of them online. In other news, if you have about 85 US dollars or 8,424 yen burning a hole in your pocket, well, there's a pair of lounge clothes, or I mean, as I like to think of them, pajamas, that you might have to own. The pajamas are Kuroko no Basuke loungewear. They're based on the various team uniforms from the series, and they come in sets that include a top and a bottom made of 100% cotton. The sports player number corresponding to Tetsuya, Ryota, Daiki, Shintaro, Atsushi, and Seijuro are all available. You can find pictures of these costumes online. If nothing else, it could be a fun and comfortable easy cosplay to wear around a con for a day. This was Shiaki and this was your Anime News Break. Don't go anywhere because we'll be back to the show soon. Story time with Chiaki. I was on a train in Korea once with one of my friends, and um, I get an itch in my nose, and I kind of, you know, rub my nose or whatever, and then I sneeze, and blood just goes everywhere, and we're in between stops, and I'm having, I'm holding my hands over my nose, and there's just blood dripping from my hands. What the it's hell? It's like one of the worst nosebleeds I've ever shouldn't had. Shouldn't pick your nose so hard. And then it's like when we get to the stop, and we run out to the bathroom, and I like run in the bathroom, and there's blood all over me, and like all of the girls in the bathroom bathroom like flee and I I open up my hand and it's like a pool of blood in the sink and that story wasn't funny at all it was awful nobody will ever want to ride next to Chiaki on the train again I always have a good story somewhere in me back to the show and we're back to the 227th episode of the anime addicts anonymous podcast Making your anime addiction worse with the studio with the studio spotlight on Studio Bones. But first, we're gonna see what studio you want to see a spotlight on next. So, winning with 39% of the vote was Madhouse Studios. I can't say that really surprises me though. Yeah, no. That Madhouse came on top. Next one was with 26% was Kyoto Animation. Doesn't surprise me either. Yeah. Lots of love for Kyoani out there. Yeah. And then we had Toy and Studio Perot tying at 13% with the rest going to something else. And cool. there were a lot of suggestions in the chat. So there's a lot of good anime studios out there that we have to pick from, really. Sure. We'll get around to them eventually. All in good time. We've been at this for almost five years. We're, we're actually coming up on our fi five-year birthday, Cram. Oh, my and goodness. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's total madness. Five years for you, not five years for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, five five years for the show. So right. I mean, you're part of the show. You're allowed to. You're allowed to to celebrate. I've been adopted. <laughs> yeah, you're adopted into the family. Cool. You're allowed to have a slice of cake on our birthday. <laughs> Just what I need. Another reason to drink. <laughs> well, you know, you're American. Never too many of those. That's true. Anyways, another reason to drink. Maybe you should drink for Studio Bones. I'm just the queen of segues tonight. It's great. It's I awesome. Know, I'm all about it. Studio Bones was founded in October 1998. So it's not a very old studio, especially not compared to a lot of studios out there, but it's also not a baby either. Right. You can find their official website at bones.co.jp for those of you who want to go and 
look at a website in Japanese that you may or may not be able to read, and that will probably tell you information that you already know already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fun facts about the studio to get us started. The first project was collaborating, or one of their first projects was collaborating with Sunrise on Cowboy Bebop knocking on Heaven's Door. So, oh. yeah, even though they weren't heading the project, Studio Bones has been involved with tons of key animation and in-between animation and brought in a lot of projects. And that was one of their first things that they did after getting the studio off the ground, which I thought was pretty cool. That, I think that's interesting because uh, it, it, it appears that they have, you know, kind of come full circle in working on Space Dandy. Uh, and I guess that's where they met, met uh, director Shinichiro Watanabe for the first time, probably. I, I would assume at least at least I maybe a casual introduction. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. This is the guy who made this. <laughs> Studio Bones works to date that they can credit themselves for not... When I made this list of works to date, it's works that they were theirs, that they headed the project on. It wasn't works that, for example, I didn't count Cowboy Bebop knocking on Heaven's Door on this list because that was Sunrise's project and Studio Bones was just kind of brought in. So if you count those, I don't have the number, but it becomes much longer. But total works to date for things that Studio Bones, it's their property, belongs to Mm -hmm. them, it was their project, are 35. And that includes currently airing and announced shows. And it's not bad. No, it, it really isn't. Again, for a studio that's only, when you think about it, what, 98? That's mm-hmm. 20 years less than old. That's, that's not bad. That's more than one show a year about. Yep. And what I thought was interesting, and I don't have other data from other studios to compare this to, but they've ha- done 14 original works. That's 40% of all the works that belong to them were original. Where that's really th- admirable, I think. Yeah, because that's something we always talk about on the show is is and we even have award in our anime Oscars for the the best original show because so many shows are based off of light novels and manga and that's not to say that there's anything bad about that but I do find it commendable when to see people to see directors to see studios kind of piloting original stories in the medium rather than just adapting all the time So notable anime yeah, what did they work on? What did what did they work on? Do do you have a favorite Studio Bones show, Cram? You know, this this is going to seem like a cheat. Um yeah, probably Space Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say maybe at least my most recent Studio Bones fan favorite. I won't say Space Dandy again because I, you know, want to say something different. The original Chiaki. I think I really enjoyed Gosick. That was a 2011 anime. It's it was an original work. Or it was not an original work for Studio Bones. I reviewed that back in episode 92, and I gave it a four and a half. And I mm. remember it being a fairly toss up, good toss up for me between four and a half and a five because I really, really enjoyed that show. It was fun. It was fantasyful, and it did a lot of interesting things. That show is written by Mari Okada. And uh, she actually wrote the show that I'll be doing an impression of today, the uh, M3, the, what is it called? The Dark Metal or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Ghost Sick was was a really good show all around, and, and I still recommend it. In the chat, one of the anime that was brought up was Razafon. And Razafon made it on my personal list of notable works from Studio Bones because it was one of their earliest projects and their second original work. So this really happened, you know, the studio is only four years old and they're barely coming out. And 
at the start of the studio life, you could tell they weren't doing as much as they are now. And so this was, I feel like, was a very ambitious project for a studio that was still getting off the ground. Now we and, have- and still fairly well regarded. I remember Razafan, I, I saw the film. I didn't watch the series, but I watched the movie, uh, which is probably a bad idea. But for whatever reason, that's how it worked out. Um, but my impression of Razafan in the fan community and, and the critical community is that it's kind of the you know, Studio Bones' answer to Evangelion. Yes. And it, it, it's com- it gets compared to, to Ava quite a bit. Um, and, I mean, that's to be put on, to be introduced into the same conversation with Evangelion is in and of itself a compliment, um, you know, a merit to the show, I think. Oh, I definitely agree. It's it's a very psychological mech story. And I almost feel like Razafon has this kind of cult classic status with, a lot of the fans that I've talked to, it's like if you ask someone, have you seen the anime Razafon? Their answer is either no, I've never even heard of it or that anime blew my mind. It's a great mech show is kind of the impression that I get from people. And it has a great opening song. I really like its opening. <laughs> it's uh, I, You know what? I do too. That was on a, a mix of, of anime songs that I had back in the day. Even though I didn't watch the series, somehow I got my hands on that song. <laughs> but it is on my... Actually, most of the ones that we're going to talk about are on my ever-growing list of um, you know, backlogged anime that I've got to get to. Yeah. No more, no more breaks for you, Cram. No, I know, more, I, no more breaks from anime. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be lazy. The next show that I have on my notable works, no one should be surprised that it made it. It was released in 2003, so the year following Razafon, and it was their next original work directly after Razafon. So they made Razafon, and then they made this show. And this show that I'm talking about is Wolf's Reign. And Wolf's Reign is a very good show, a very highly regarded show. Again, kind of that... I hate to keep using the term cult classic because I know that I'm probably not using it right. But again, the fans that I talk to and the people who I speak to who've watched it have this really deep love for this show. We actually reviewed the show back in episode 42 and it got a four and a half. Yeah, so. I mean, it shows, I think, anime, uh, if, they're, if they're not mega hits like Attack on Titan, I think uh, anything that's well regarded could probably be called a cult classic just yeah. by the nature of anime fandom as a niche. What what this fandom means and what it does to you. Right. One thing that I also want to say about Wolf's Reign is it has amazing music. I think we've talked about it before, but the famous Yoko Kano had her hand in that music pot stirring it. I'm actually more familiar with the music from the show than the show itself. I've never seen it again. I, like I said, <laughs> I'm, I, this is kind of my list of shame. I have many lists of shame and this is one of them. Um, but Wolf's Reign is another one I've got to get to. I, I've watched I've watched a fair portion of Wolf's Reign because it did have a run on, I think it was Adult Swim. I think Adult I, Swim had the run. Yeah, they did. I, I think they did run it. So I, I have seen a fair portion of Wolf's Reign, but I've never sat down and watched it all the way through and committed to it. And it's definitely a show that from what I've seen and from what everyone said, it really deserves a proper sit down and actually watching it rather than just catching an episode here and there and everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. The next show on the list, again, should be no surprise to anyone. And I lumped these two together. It's Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Studio Bones did both. 
Yep, probably the last mega hit uh, until Attack on Titan, I think. Which oh is, yeah, I would agree. Which is crazy because it was like t- it took like ten years, something like that. Well, the original Full Metal Alchemist was released in two thousand three, so yeah, basically ten years, and. The reboot was released in 2009, so if you want to consider the franchise longevity, that's how how it ran out. And as far as why this anime made it on the list of things to highlight for Studio Bone, I I feel like the question should answer itself. It's Full Metal Alchemist. Who hasn't heard of that? When Full Metal Alchemist came on, I guess it was Netflix, uh, either Netflix or Crackle, probably Netflix. Uh, I watched the first three episodes, first two or three episodes, so I could kind of get a feel for what it was. Because again, I haven't watched the show, so I feel like I'm every word that comes out of my mouth qualifies me less and less to be on this podcast. <laughs> That's it, Cram. Get out. Get out. Okay. Oh, goodbye. No, don't leave. I like your voice. But uh, but yeah, I I, I kind of uh, I understand it. It is a shonen show, as I as I understand, um, based on a pretty long running manga, and uh, I liked what I saw. I don't know that I would sit down and commit to the entire series, and if I did, I think I would jump right into Brotherhood. Yeah. Uh, what I've heard of Brotherhood is that it's it it follows the manga more closely, and uh, is shorter, I think, and probably a more rewarding experience. I'm not sure about that. Maybe people in the chat will enlighten me. Um, but yeah, it's another one that I should probably get to do someday. I think what's interesting about looking at the history of Studio Bones is that because these animes were so long, because FMA and FMA Brotherhood were both long-running shows, they ran for at least a year. If, mm. if you're thinking on a on a weekly schedule, and that's assuming no breaks. So they have these long-running shows going, and then they're also producing other shows in between and around them. One such show that came in between was Eureka 7, and that's another very highly regarded show. I love this show. Eureka 7 was released in 2005, and it's a, another original work, which is, again, fantastic, I think. It had a long run, and it really has had lasting appreciation. I reviewed this one back in episode 73, and I gave it a four and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. Eureka 7 is definitely well worth watching. They cool. they do a lot of things right in that show, and and it's definitely something that should be on people's lists, especially if you kind of like mechs. I think, in a way, I don't know, I'm going to get flamed for this. I already, my flaming senses are tingling, <laughs> but... <laughs> I almost feel like it's the romantics mecha show because you have kind of sci-fi and people riding like hoverboards in the air and all this craziness. But the relationship between Eureka and uh, uh, I want to say Rentaro, but I don't think that's his name. I, I don't feel ask really me. Really <laughs> bad that I forgot his name, but the main character. Hey, hey, Chiaki, guess what? What? I haven't seen the show. You haven't. <laughs> shocker surprise (laughs) um but i think i think their relationship is wonderful and and it renton renton so maybe i was right is that what i said i'm not sure No, you said something else like do you know or something yeah i I knew it started with an r sorry sorry everyone i'm really bad with names i'm bad with names for real life people so (laughs) but this show is definitely worth watching and the relationship between Renton and Ereka are is fantastic. Next one, 
that I know a lot of our American listeners, at least American listeners who have been to anime conventions will recognize is Soul Eater. Mm-hmm. Were you were you in America when Soul Eater blew up, Cram? Um, yeah, I was. And uh, although that was still in my period of being totally burned out on on anime in general, uh, my one of my cousins, my uh, young uh, teenage cousin was way, way into this show and also Black Butler. Mm, I um, remember the Black Butler period also. Yep. And as far as I know, she wasn't into many other shows. Uh, she just, for whatever reason, got way into Soul Eater and Black Butler. And uh, that was enough for me to be like, oh, that's probably not for me. Because <laughs> she was like a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> you know you know what I think is funny? I think it's hilarious how y- you just mentioned, the again, the getting burned out period. I've talked yeah. to so many people who have gone through that period with anime. And it, it really is a drug. It just keeps bringing you back eventually you you have a craving for a hit and you're just like i'll just it's just it's just an ova it's yeah. it's just a 12 episode series it's just it's just a 56 and then before you know it you're like it's just one piece i'll watch it My, from I the mean, beginning i i never really thought i would get back into it in you know in this way like to be part of a podcast and all that kind of stuff but uh my burnout period lasted for almost 10 years so <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we can bring you back. I'm glad we brought yes. you back to the fold. Yeah, me too. <laughs> People in the chat are asking about uh, Eureka 7AO or Astral Ocean. I did not watch that show. Was I supposed to and forgot? Or was that during our failure phase? I'm not really sure, but I haven't seen it. So this is all secondhand. But everyone who I've ever heard talk about it says it's awful says it's not very good it looks like so. it was too core it started in april of 2012 and ended in november so yeah maybe too core yeah i'm not sure either way i've heard it's not worth watching from a number of reputable sources and i just i just went with that <laughs> i just went with that and didn't watch it yep. but soul eater was actually reviewed we reviewed it on this show in episode 40 and it got a four and a half so Soul Eater is another show that, love it or hate it, it's definitely something that got wide acclaim and wide fandom, and so it's worth talking about if you're talking about mm-hmm. Studio Bones. Other works worth mentioning that they've had their hand in. Now, Cram, you, you have to have seen something of this one. Over on High School Host Club from 2006. <sighs> no, I haven't. My, I think my wife has actually seen more of that than I have. Okay, go get your go get your wife. You're failing on the show today. <laughs> Just bring her on. <laughs> I guess she would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least at least you don't have a camera on you anymore. So That's true. That's true. So maybe maybe she could come on sometime. <laughs> oh, on high school came out in 2006 for those of you who didn't know it wasn't an original work and we reviewed it on this show way back in episode 18 and i'm not sure who reviewed it but it got a five and if it was what? me i'm really sorry about that you're kidding <laughs> it might like, have been... I, I haven't I, granted i haven't seen the show it might be the godfather of anime for all i know <laughs> but it's called oron high school host club <laughs> i okay it's not a bad show, but it probably doesn't 
deserve a five. <laughs> I think I think a reevaluation is in order. Yeah, I think that's definitely one that that we can look back on and and again, it might not have been me. We have had other hosts come in and out. Episode 18, we were very baby podcast. We didn't know what we were doing. We barely had I think I don't even know if we had a a webcam to record <laughs> with at that point. <laughs> so, so I'm going to chalk it up to our our young and naive phase of the show where we we didn't know anything. We didn't know anything. So it's, it's pretty good. Pretty good mea culpa there. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I agree with someone in the chat. It's, it is really funny. A solid four I could maybe get behind, but a five is, is pushing it. <laughs> Another maybe anime. Maybe I'll have to go back and watch that. I'll, I'll ask my wife about it and see what she thought, but uh, I don't know. I don't think she finished it, so that might be telling. It it's a funny sh- I mean I've watched it all the way through. It's a funny show and you enjoy it a lot and it's a great comedy and especially for the ladies out there if you like pretty boys and romance, it's got a lot of that. But I don't know if it's a if it's one worth mentioning <laughs> as a five, as a five show. A show that everyone in the chat has been freaking out about since I mentioned we were spotlighting Studio Bones is Darker Than Black, released in 2007. And this was an original work for Studio Bones. So, And Studio Bones also did the follow-up series sequel to Darker Than Black, which the name I forgot, but it's the sequel to Darker Than Black. Isn't this one of those weird shows that has like a 16-episode season or something like that? I feel, I feel like it does. Or maybe I'm thinking of Bacano. Yeah, you might be thinking of Bacano. Okay. But I'm I'm not I also say that with squinty eyes and a tilt of the head. And let's consult our trusty, trusty Wikipedia. It was twelve. It was 12. Okay. I only ask that because sometimes when I'm looking at, at shows that I want to get to, I determine which one I'm going to get to first by how many episodes it has. And if it's a one core or a two core show, I'm probably going to get to the shorter show first. And then every once in a while, I'll run across something that has like 16 episodes. And I'm like, how did that happen? Yeah. that That's always weird for me, too, when I come across a show that's like, or on the short side, like 10. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Really? You got away with 10 on this one? Okay. That's that's cool. What are you, Game of Thrones? Yeah, what are you, Game of Thrones? <laughs> Speaking of Daenerys Targaryen. Anyways, Darker Than Black was an original work, and it was we reviewed it on the show back in episode 14. I reviewed it myself. I still take all the hate for the two and a half that I gave it, because... Two and a half? I mean, I haven't seen it. I, I think I watched the first couple of episodes at one point when I was trying to break my uh, my burnout period. It didn't work, but um, I think those two episodes were okay. <laughs> I really... This show for me, I really didn't like for a lot of reasons. And if you want to hear all of them, go back to episode 14. But... But I will acknowledge the fact that I am in the minority for people who are not a fan of Darker Than Black and that this show has a huge following. And to talk about Studio Bones without mentioning Studio without mentioning Darker Than Black would just be my personal bias against the show. Maybe this one deserves a reevaluation, too. I, you know, I could agree with that because I'm at a very different place in my life and I approach mm. things very differently than when I was watching this. This was a show that I watched with my college anime club. So mm. 
while the club was re- was really good at, at when it was time to watch the show, we sat down and we watched the show. It wasn't like we were doing other things. I'm at a different point and place and in a different setting. So maybe if I went back, I'd enjoy it more. But right. for now, I'm going to be vengeful and stick to my two and we a half. Should, uh, we should do a AAA retcon episode where we do retroactive continuity on our we on should. reviews that we should have given worse scores to or some that we should have given better scores to and just make that a topic. There are there are a few, definitely a few shows on our review list that I look back that I've just reviewed personally and I look back and I go, that wasn't insert score here. <laughs> <laughs> the last show that I put on my list of works worth mentioning is Kurau Phantom Memory. This is another one that was from the earlier period of Studio Bones. It was released in 2004. So the studio had only been around for six years at that point. It was an original work. And we reviewed this back in episode 20 and it got a four. And I have seen... I wasn't the one who reviewed it. I think that was Kimiko. I think Kimiko was with us then. I think that was one of her first reviews for us. But I have seen enough of this series to stand behind a four of what I've seen. I, I of course, don't know if it goes to hell in a handbasket toward the end. But, but what I saw was good. It was good. So one thing that I want to point out is that if you trust us as reviewers, I know that's a big if. But if you trust us as reviewers, our AAA average score for Studio Bones is a 4.3. That's high. Yeah, right? That's super high. Just of, and, and I'm sure there are shows on the Studio Bones list that I didn't include, but I was just picking the ones that stuck out in my head. And then I looked up on our, show, on our website what we gave them. And I mean, yeah. I included Darker Than Black. That was a two and a half. I'm being fair. It's not like I'm weeding out the little ones but right. these were all the real scores that we gave and even if you take out that Oron High Host Club 5 it's still probably going to be at least a three and a half four. if I had to just off the top of my head what I might give that show so you're still looking at an average score of at least a four for Studio yeah. Bones. You know I, I think that um, this being their most big year since their founding they've got five shows coming out this year. That's crazy. And uh, the AAA podcast has already passed three of those five shows. And if you consider that the average score for, you know, Studio Bone Show on, on our podcast is, you know, a four, four point three, something like, you know, something around a four. Uh, I would say that, that in general, we're fans of Studio Bones. And, um, you know, I, I think that perhaps they're not one of the studios that you think of when listing, you know, great animation studios of Japan, but maybe they should be. You know, I don't when when someone asks me, you know, what's your favorite studio, my mind doesn't go to Bones. Yeah. But maybe maybe it should because they seem to I mean their their list of credits is impressive. You know, I almost feel guilty that it's taken 15 years for me to kind of feel that this way about them. But mm. especially now with this season and with Space Dandy, they're becoming a studio now for me. Even before we did this topic, they were becoming a studio for me that I started thinking of. When I started thinking of animation studios, Toy came to my head, Key came to my head, Madhouse came to my head, and, and Studio Bones is getting to the point where Studio Bones is coming to my head right mm-hmm. off the bat. And I think they have, of course, they've done shows that are hit or miss. I'll put Darker Than Black in there, but they also did uh, Star Driver Takto, which Mitsugi didn't like at all. And 
Eureka 7, as I said, the sequel was not good. The Darker Than Black sequel, that one I didn't watch because I didn't enjoy the first one. But I've heard, even among fans of the Darker Than Black franchise, that, of course, it isn't nearly as good as the original. So it's not to say that that they're a perfect studio and that they don't make mistakes. But I do think that they're really good at having key titles for themselves that really shine in comparison. Yeah. Well, to I mean, come everything. on. Even, even Ghibli has Tales from Earthsea. So. <laughs> God, God bless Goro Miyazaki for for putting Ghibli on the map. For way to, way to lower the bar, man. <laughs> you got to think Hayao Miyazaki is sitting there somewhere, going like, "I had such a good thing." Well, I Miyazaki just... made Ponyo, so we can't we that can't just true. throw Goro under the bus. That is, you true, know, the, the shows that they've they've got coming out this year. They've got Space Dandy, Noragami, Captain Earth, Soul Eater, Knot, and Chika the Coffin Princess. We passed Space Dandy Noragami, which uh, we did a review of recently, last uh, maybe three weeks ago. Something yeah, like sometime that. recently. What was the score on that? I don't know, but if you want to talk about the other ones, I'll find out for you. Uh, I, I just mentioned this uh, because I think uh, Bones is known for their proficiency in, in animating action sequences. And the thing that really stands out about those three shows in particular, the ones that we passed from this year, Space Dandy, Noragami, and Captain Earth, is... Uh, how good the action is in all of them, you know. Um, Space Dandy in particular has just this kind of no holds barred, uh, ruleless uh, approach to how they animate their action sequences. Um, so much so that it feels like each action sequence has its own kind of um, method to its madness. Like it's it, it, it's every time there's an action sequence, it's unlike any other action sequence in the rest of the show. Yeah. And I, I think that's really to its benefit because it feels like a showcase, not only for, you know, studio bones and kind of a, a showcase piece, but a showcase for, um, all of the animators working on it and, um, and what they're able to do when they are kind of free of these, uh, creative restraints and whatnot. And I feel like that's what space dandy is for. And for bones to have that in their, um, in their oeuvre, so to speak. Uh, is I think it's it's good. It's a, a highlight for me. But and, you know, I'm I'm a little biased. I already said that Space Dandy is probably my favorite Bones show. And God bless those animators because they're working hard right now. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. at this very second, no Sundays off for Studio Bones animators. Oh no, not at all. That, <laughs> to, that Japanese work ethic will kill you. Yeah. To, we reviewed Noragami by the way in episode 223. I'm going to make you guess of everything that we've just said about Studio Bones. What score do you think it got, Cram? A four. A four. Yay! Yay! Studio Bones holds true to itself. Right on. <laughs> well, I really enjoy these studio spotlights because I think that they're a fantastic opportunity for people to think about what studios they enjoy and kind of put things together in their head. I mean, for me personally, I think it's fun to say, oh, this studio did, did this anime and I really like it and they did it this anime and I really like it and they did this anime and I really like it and this anime is coming out this season so there's probably a good chance that I'll really like it. Mm. Barring, barring, you know, all the random things that can come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. We'll and, see if they do a Moe show. And bad sequels. <laughs> well, that was our Studio Bones Spotlight. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to take another quick anime news break. And when we come back to the show, we are going to have impressions on The World is Still Beautiful, M3, Breakblade, 
and Knights of Sidonia. Our poll question during this news break is, of course, which of those anime that we are going to do impressions on do you think is most likely to pass? So let us know, and we'll be back to the show soon. Hail you anime addicts, this is Shiaki, and this is your anime news break. First up, for those of you who are fans of Japanese idol girls, the Senegajima Girls Pop Festival will be happening this July. They've decided to turn a deserted Okinawa island into a musical resort for the festival. Japanese idols of all areas will appear at Senegajima on July 5th through 6th to help participate and raise tourism for the Tomigusuku area of Okinawa. The island itself, as I mentioned, is more or less abandoned, but its location is relatively close to the Naha airport and can be reached from Okinawa by car. There are also several U.S. military bases, including Camp Kinzer, close to Senegajima. So if you are stationed there or if you have friends who are, it could be worthwhile checking out. In other news, while we might have not enjoyed the anime, the Hamatora Project has an ongoing manga series, a second television anime series in the works, an upcoming game, and is now inspiring a stage play adaptation coming this August. The play will run for 12 performances from August 16th through the 24th at the Haizuza Theater in Nopongi in Tokyo. The production will hold open auditions for its roles. The production company Eigiki is putting together the Hamatora play after working on super musical Saint Seiya, the Code Geass Lucia the Rebellion stage play, and Lucky Star on stage. The story of the Hamatora play has yet to be announced, but it should be very interesting. I'm sure more cast photos will be posted to come. In other news, publisher Katakawa and Nico Nico parent company Duengo have recently announced that the companies have solidified their plans for a merger. As of next spring, the two companies will merge operations under a holding company. As a result of the merger, the companies are preparing to increase the amount of content that will be available for streaming overseas. Katakawa is known for its focus on anime and game properties. Also as part of the merger, Katakawa will handle physical products such as movie, anime, music composition, and publishing of digital and physical books, while Duengo will handle the digital projects such as Nika Nico and digital music site Chaku Uta. Nika Nico will also handle event management. Both companies will work together to produce software and mobile applications. So what does this mean for you? In short language, more content being distributed online for those of us overseas. Well, it was certainly bound to happen. An enterprising engineer has tinkered with the Oculus Rift. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's a head-mounted virtual reality device. And they've made it so that you can, well, sort of kiss Hatsune Miku, or at least a CGI-developed version of her. They attached the infrared sensors to each side of the device, and the engineer made it possible to communicate with the Wii Remote's infrared sensor bar. Four infrared lights attached to each corner of the device to detract your head movements. Two servo motors beneath the device lets Miku's face move in tandem with yours, and as for her lips, well, there is a gummy replica between the motors. So if you want to kiss Hatsune Miku, well, in a sad way, it looks like it's going to be possible. 
This was Chiaki, and this was your anime news break. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be back to the show soon. Previously on a recent anime cast by Otaku Spirit, we talked about psychological thrillers. This is where you start to question your own humanity. What would you do in this situation? We would like to tell ourselves we wouldn't do that, but deep down, we kind of wonder, how far would you go? Then, there is just those characters that you just are so wrong that you have to see, what are they going to do? What makes them, what makes them tick? Why are they just so sick? Why do we love it? <laughs> is it a self-confirmation to set ourselves aside and say, well, I'm not that bad? Is it a perverse desire to see the dark as possible? Generally, these shows tend to force a contrast. They will tend to, to add a character that is super cute in the darkest of situations that makes you go, why are they there? <laughs> Catch more on otakuspirit.com. And we're back to the 227th episode of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. Podcast that's coming in on its five year anniversary. Oh, we're so old. So old. So old. If we were a kid, we'd we'd be going to kindergarten. Oh, that's so cute. We should we should have your wife come on the show because she's a kindergarten teacher for real. You are committed to this, aren't you? <laughs> I love your wife. I do too. I married her. <laughs> well, that's good because I would have totally married her if you hadn't. <laughs> So we've reached the final leg of the show, the impressions phase. This is our last round of impressions. And for those of you keeping track or rather not keeping track, we have one more show to pass. So one of these four shows is going to be the last show on our list of eight that we pick. Now, for those of you who are just joining us recently, the way we do the way this works is we do impressions on a show after its first three episodes. And we try to discern from these first three episodes what the best eight, or as close as we can get, shows are from the season. And we watch those shows in full, multiple hosts watch them, and we discuss them in reviews. Now, if you don't like our decisions, you have a chance to change it yourself. We put a poll up on the website that has a listener choice show where you get to pick our ninth show that we will watch and you get to be kind or evil it's all up to you as far as what you guys think will pass knights of sidonia came in first on our poll with 60 percent of the votes and the world is still beautiful came in second with 35 percent m3 got zero percent of the votes oh <laughs> poor m3 oh man <laughs> oh no I don't no, know if that's fair, sad. though. We'll, we'll find out when I get to it, though. Well, we'll get right to at least what 35% of you thought was going to pass, and that is The World is Still Beautiful, or Sore de mo Sekai wa Utsukushi, or as they say in the halfway commercial break points of the, of the anime, Still World is Beautiful. Which sounds like a completely different thing. But The mm -hmm. World is Still Beautiful is an anime that I picked up myself. I heard a bunch of people talking about it. And I decided that I would pick it up and give a bonus impression on it. So 
you're welcome. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm glad or not that I picked this up. I'll I'll do the my due diligence and start with staff and plot and all that good stuff. The World is Still Beautiful is slated to be a 12 episode show, I think. I think it's I think supposed right. to be 12. Yeah. It is directed by Hajime Kamegaki and Kamegaki was the director for Air Gear. He was the director for Fushigi Yugi. He was the director for Lupin the Third versus Detective Conan. <laughs> kind <laughs> of. Um, he did a bunch of Lupin the Third, though. He was the director for Lupin the Third, Seven Days Rhapsody, Lupin the Third, Toho Ken Bunroku, Another Page. He was the director on the first Naruto Shippuden and the second Naruto Shippuden movies. So this guy is all over the place. Some directors I can look at their line of work and go, oh, this director is really good with this kind of show. But I don't know what to make of it when I see a guy go from Fushigi Yugi to Loop on the Third. <laughs> those, are, <laughs> those are really different anime right there. So... I'm not sure what to make of it, and I'll I'll leave it up I'll leave it up to you, kind kind listeners. It is being produced by Studio uh, Perol. Is this is this French? Am I saying this right? P, P- I. P- if you want to be, if you want to be about it, it's Pierrot. P- I can't. I- P- Pierrot. <laughs> it means cl- it means clown. <laughs> My mouth. Studio clown is fine. <laughs> Studio clown. Now now I sound like I'm making fun of it prematurely, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak French, as I've said multiple times on the podcast. My mouth doesn't know how to make those sounds, so mm-hmm. I'm really sorry for all the people who do, because I know what it sounds like when someone doesn't know how to speak Japanese, and you do, and it's it's just, it's a little, ugh. So, oh, speaking of which, I'm going to interrupt you and just- Go just for it. Tan- I'm just going to tangent right now. Tangent. Um I was watching Kill Bill Volume 1 for the first time since I could speak Japanese. Uh-huh. And there is a lot of Japanese spoken in that movie by non-native Japanese speakers, and they sound terrible. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> they sound no. really, really terrible. In fact, the only uh, non-native Japanese speaker who does a good job is, um, I forget the actress's name, but she plays Sophie, the translator for Oren uh, Ishii. Mm-hmm. Is, is that right? Is that her name? Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought I'd uh, I'd throw that in. Well, you know, I know how that feeling is. And it's kind of cringe-worthy. Yeah. I cringed a little bit. And I always try to I always try to not cringe because I always remind myself when it comes to like when I have to say something in French or German, then I'm sure someone's cringing at me. And the world just cringes at each other and we move on. And that's mm-hmm. Chiaki's life lesson for the day. That's- exactly. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> back to the world is still beautiful. Um, the world is still cringeworthy. This world is still cringeworthy. This anime is a little cringeworthy. I'm not going to lie. So the anime starts out with Princess Nike or Nike, depending on if you want to go Greek goddess or Japanese shoe pronunciation. <laughs> shoe, shoe company or Japanese pronunciation. I'm going to say Nike because mm. I just feel weird calling her Nike. I don't know. Yeah. So, Princess Princess Nike comes from the Kingdom of Rain, and she has the power to control 
She actually has a little bit of a confusing set of power skills for me because she has magical powers and sometimes she can control the wind and other times that she can make rain. Her big power is she can make rain, but but when it's convenient, she's also able to use wind powers. And her kingdom is being encroached upon by a sun empire who that is commanded by a boy king Livius Servinius blah, 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 long royal title and he looks like he's like 10 in the anime I think I looked up his age online because this is based off of a manga so there are further backgrounds on these characters and I think he's supposed to be like 14 or 15 but he looks really boyish to me in the show he looks much younger than that this is the king right this is the king yes okay. either way e- even if it's even if it's 14 or 15 the point is is that he's very young and he's not mature he's not like an old king he's recently come into the throne type of thing and it's an empire that that's being built underneath him and they are annexing Princess Nike's kingdom and they say you can either be completely under control or you can have some of your sovereignty and send us one of your three maybe it's four daughters it doesn't really matter what number daughters to come and marry our king and so like all important diplomatic decisions with any kind of Japanese cultural background guess how they decide who goes cram how does it go (laughs) Oh come on! Think about think about your elementary schools. How do we de- make an important decision? <laughs> I don't know. It depends on the school, I guess. <laughs> I've I've taught at a couple of schools, one of which uh, was full of delinquents. So, oh. <laughs> um, did it did it involve switchblades and uh, brass knuckles? <laughs> no, it didn't. It involved rock paper scissors. Ah, uh, well, yes, of course. That's of that course would be the other way. That's that's how you make important political decisions. So the three. Maybe it's four. It doesn't. We don't see the sisters again. The the sisters rock paper scissors. Nike wins or loses, depending on how you want to look at it. And she gets sent off to marry the king. So first episode, she arrives in the kingdom and she's like, "I don't want anyone to know I'm here yet because I want to really see this kingdom and what it is on my own." And she goes off and she does kind of her own thing and she meet some of the people and she gets to use her wind power and she kind of has like a purpose moment with some girls that she saves from these like thug type characters that end up not really coming back later on in the series and basically the first episode is her her and the audience becoming familiar with this kingdom and then it ends with her being introduced to the king so we don't actually really meet the king in the first episode in the second episode, we have the king and girl, and the king is, we learn a little bit about the king's background. His mother was a commoner, and his father was, of course, the prior king, and so when he was growing up, he was very ostracized, and he didn't really have many people to be with in the palace, because it was very much, you know, kind of traditional societies, how that would look. Common girl gets it on with the king, and whatever so so he was kind of ostracized and and he had his mother and one of the things that his mother really wanted to see was rain because i guess it's a literal like in the sun kingdom we have sun all the time but we don't have rain like Hmm. rain doesn't exist here to which i'm like then it's pretty probably pretty important you took over the rain kingdom (laughs) because (laughs) 
<laughs> because you know water yeah it's a good it's a good thing it's a good thing i i believe i believe i saw they had like aqueducts and things like that so they do have water sources i might be making a little too much fun of it but they don't they don't have falling rain so he his mother told him about falling rain and he wanted to see falling rain and it's kind of this thing that's already kind of drawing him to her of course nike isn't a fan of him he isn't really a fan of her he's cold and aloof and i'm so cool for my own skin type of thing anyways the way the second episode ends is it ends with this really beautiful gem of a song and i'm gonna play a clip for you which may or may not have been edited to improve its quality but the way this show episode ends is the king's office gets set on fire and the king escapes and while the king is escaping, somehow Princess Nike gets on the tallest bell tower in the city. Which, by the way, she doesn't wear pants, and I really want to give this girl a pair of pants. Because her <laughs> her dress thing is real short. It's real <laughs> short. <laughs> I'm gonna start I'm gonna start a charity for for give these girls pants. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyways. But she gets on the building. And mind you, there's one room burning in the castle there's just one room burning it's like one window and the castle's made of stone What? and she sings a song she sings a song about tender rain <laughs> come uh. tender rain <laughs> let the tender rain into your heart she sings a song that summons the rain like storm clouds swoop in the rain pours down on everything <laughs> extinguishes this one fire and then when the clouds go away, like the boy king is like, oh, my God, it was so beautiful. And as he's looking up at the sky over the castle, a rainbow forms. Oh, man. So I'm going to play this song, Tender Rain for Everyone. And and please and en- please enjoy it because because I did. Full rainbow. Oh, wow. It's starting to even look like a triple rainbow. All right, so as you can. So, so people in the chat might not know, but I couldn't hear the song, but I could hear you stifling giggles. <laughs> it was so. So basically, the genius is that as she's singing, you know, I thought of the first thing I thought of when I was watching this anime, and and the first thing I thought of was was a double rainbow, man. What does it mean? What does it mean? I think my I'm gonna cut this impression shorter because I'm dragging on, and it it doesn't need to be because the show's hilarious. Third episode. The point is, she ends the show with that song in the second episode. Third episode happens. Her and the prince are getting closer. A little bit more backstory with the prince, and they end the third episode with the same song. She has a party and she sings the song and she makes it rain again, and everyone's like, "Ah, oh my god, it's rain! It's so pretty! It's like falling light!" And then. I went ahead and I skipped through the fourth and fifth episode. And guess what she does at the end of the fifth episode? Guess what she does, Cram? What does she do? She sings the song and she makes it um, rain. <laughs> Just. Does it sound. I, I should probably listen to it, but uh, since I didn't get a 
get to hear it. But does it sound anything like chocolate rain? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's it's oh. more. It's a tender rain. Oh, okay. And I so want to sing this song. That's disappointing, though. I'm, they they should just they should just cut chocolate rain into that instead. They really should. There's so many spoofs. She even says at one point she's like singing in the rain, and I'm like, that's a that's a whole different movie, sweetie. That's a whole <laughs> different thing. You gotta. There's gotta be some kind of copyright issue with that. Mm. Being serious for a second. Aside from the ridiculousness that I've already talked about, the reasons why I didn't like the show were it's cliche as all get out. Two, they fall into a lot of tropes and traps. There's maids and there's, you know, they wake up in bed naked together scenes. And yeah, they they cover it a bit with like the, oh, but we're engaged. Shouldn't we share a bed? But it's still kind of the like, well, wouldn't you talk about that first rather than just kind of show up there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like... Like, hi, honey, I love you. I'm going to creep in your bed now. <laughs> so there's that. And then the other thing with the story is they already they've been doing a lot of show, don't tell. Or rather tell. Wait, wait. They've not been following the rule show, don't tell. They've been just telling. Right. There was a whole scene where she's being in the second episode where she's being, you know, taken away or something. And the butler, uh, Neil, the butler, is basically like, let me tell you why the king is sad and why he's angry. And he tells us the whole history rather than letting us kind of figure that out on our own and put it all together. So I can see why some people would like this show. If you're a hardcore fan of fantasy or like princess stories or whatever, I'm not going to shun you for liking it. But it's definitely, definitely not a show that I'm going to be able to pass. The animation is awful. They just recycled mouth movements without moving the characters. It's awful, I tell you. Awful. All right. So now we have... I I had heard good things about it um, from the critical community, but uh, yeah, that sounds pretty laughable, actually. I I couldn't stop laughing. I showed the scene. I showed the scene to Kimiko, the tender rain scene, and she was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? (laughs) It it's it's that fabulous, fabulous, okay. fabulous. Uh, <laughs> All right, your turn, your turn. I'll go ahead. I'll get mine out of the way. I am doing an impression of a show called M Three: The Dark Metal, and I believe the Japanese title is M Three Sono Kuroki Hagane, which uh, translates directly to M Three That Black Steel. And to that, I say, close enough. Close enough, M Three. <laughs> Uh, this is by Studio Satellite, who also did Macross Frontier, Bodacious Space Pirates, and Log Horizon, among other things. They have actually a pretty uh, pretty long list of credits. Uh, directed by Junichi Sato, who also directed Sailor Moon and Princess Tutu, and Junkers Come Here, a cute little film about a doggy. Wow. That's actually a fairly impressive... I mean, Princess Tutu is actually a really good show. Like, I've heard. Flack yeah. aside for it, that that show I would almost put at masterpiece level. Like, yeah. it's a really good show. I've, I've heard equally good things about it. Uh, this is written, as I mentioned earlier in the show, by Mari Okada, who wrote Rosen Maiden, Vampire Knight, and Lupin Third: The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, which I've heard in, in particular... Well, Vampire Knight as well but i've heard those two shows are particularly good um so vampire uh, night's okay it's okay 
Is it? Don't um, don't I'm, let don't let the rabid fangirls fool you. It's it's oh, okay. it's pretty maybe, good, but maybe I'm thinking of something else like Vampire Princess or Princess Knight. Maybe or... there's Vampire Princess Mayu, and Princess Knight is also a thing. So there's maybe it's of... Princess Knight. Maybe not Vampire Knight. But um, <laughs> going into this, I, I thought the the credits were pretty impressive. Like it's got it's got quite the pedigree behind it. Don't you? Doesn't it sound like it does? I mean, and I'm not. I'm not gonna. There's not gonna be a turnaround here where I'm like, and it's totally crappy because it's not. I mean, the the show's it's pretty good, but uh, I'm gonna talk about it a little bit. Uh, Ten years ago, the Lightless Realm was created, and anyone who enters the Lightless Realm has his or her psyche destroyed, and then their muscle tissue is exploited and harvested to create monsters that kind of routinely escape this dark dimension and terrorize the human world. Damn. So uh, enter the test pilots of Kukunochi High School, uh, Kukunochi Academy. There, there are eight high school students, and they're tapped out. Of course, you know, high school students tapped yeah. out to drive these protective mechs uh, into the lightless realm. And what they do is they survey, and they investigate, and they eliminate potential threats. Um, the leader of this crew is named Akashi Saginuma, and he's eager to begin training because his brother was killed by the evils within the lightless realm some years prior. Um, and that's that's the basic premise of the show. In the first episode, we're introduced to most of the pilots. Uh, there are six of them, and uh, six of them initially, and then two others join later. And they've all got, you know, their interesting personalities, but none of them really seem to have any motivations beyond just they do the job they're asked to do. Uh, I don't know. Uh, some of them have some reservations about, you know, getting into a big robot and fighting demons. But um, you mean like as, a good Japanese person? They just right, do what right. they're asked to do. Any 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 average high school student uh, just does what they're expected to do when it comes to climbing into robots and punching things. You know, for all that we make fun of it, I really feel like if it came to that, at least for Japan society, if a high school student was like you know, oh, you're going to have to pilot the mech now on behalf of your country and you'll probably die and you're going to face these horrible things. I really just feel like they would be, you know, very properly Japanese about it. I mean, like, okay, if that's what I'm supposed to do. Okay. So, <laughs> in, um, I guess it's in the second episode we're introduced to the next two characters who fill out the rest of the group. And all of them, like... I think the characters are fine and likable as they are, but like I said, they don't really seem to have any motivations beyond just doing what they're asked to do. You know, you've got like the the shy character, or you've got so the tough guy, you've got the immature kid, you've got the overzealous girl, you've got a shy girl, you've got the cold girl, you've got the insane dude, and then you've got the cool guy, and then you've got Akashi, who is really the only guy who who the only character who you understand why he's doing what he's doing because his brother was killed by these things and he wants to go into uh go into the lightless realm uh they don't say it outright but you get it that it's kind of a sense of uh vengeance or to to avenge his brother's death or to you know it's related to that so at least you understand where he's coming from as a character and where he's going the other characters don't feel like that and in the first three episodes you don't really get a good grasp on any of them. I feel like they're just stand-ins for characters that you can like. So someone's like, oh, well, I always like the, you know, the crazy guy who's insane and killed his whole family. So naturally, you're going to put him into a giant robot, right? He's, yeah. he's always my favorite character in these kind of shows. So I'm going to latch onto him. Um, that's kind of how it feels to me. 
Um, but of course, uh, they're piloting these mechs uh, and they're training and going out on these survey missions and kind of cleaning house, uh, so to speak, on on the few monsters that have gotten out of the lightless realm. And the monsters are referred to officially as uh, admonitions, uh, but colloquially, colloquially, they're referred to as red poops. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, it. Red poops. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty cute. Of course, in Japanese, they're saying akaunko, but uh, they refer to them as red poops. Oh, you mean you mean like literally in the show? I thought you meant like this was a nickname that you came no. up with. Oh no, no! In the show, they refer to them as red poops. That's fabulous. That <laughs> Which I think I, I could be wrong, but I think that's a reference to Dragon Dragon Quest. The red slimes, mm-hmm. I think, are referred to as akaunko by by fans of Dragon in japan I, I could be wrong i probably am wrong i usually am uh but no you're not no you're not so um so they go out on these survey missions and they 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 pick up these monsters that have uh, escaped from the lightless realm but there's all of this world building that's going on and and there's an understanding that there aren't only the admonitions out there there's also a different kind of monster called the corpse and the corpse sings a song. And if you hear the song, then nine days later you will die. So what, is, what does that sound like to you? Does that sound familiar at all? Seven days. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and that's, that's one of the more interesting things about this show is that it is dual uh, genre. It is mech and horror, which I don't know that I've ever seen before. You, you might be able to recall one, a mech horror show. You know what? almost qualifies it's sci-fi horror but where, where my mind went immediately is the what? game franchise dead space oh okay okay i i know it's not anime i don't know if it counts and it's it's definitely not mech i mean he has a suit he wears but it's more iron man-esque than than mecha piloting-esque but yeah. but it's it is a very good example of that merger for me between horror and sci-fi so I think that is interesting, and I think that it is that the that the kind of juggling of the two genres tropes is handled pretty well. Um, it it kind of makes sense in the world. It, nothing feels shoehorned in or anything like that. Like it all it all kind of meshes uh, interestingly. Um, so. Of course, you've got all of this world building, like I said, going on with the with the corpses and the singing of the songs. And nine days later, you know, you'll die if you hear these corpses. Um, and then there's also rumors about a special type of mech robot called a Reaper. But of course, that's its colloquial name. It's it's uh, a- actual name is the Argus or something like that. Ardus. I can't remember. <laughs> it's made up sci-fi names. I can't. Re- who can remember all that stuff? Please tell me a uh, pirate gets their hands on it for all the arg puns. Argus. <laughs> Pilot the Argus. <laughs> Battle the red poops. <laughs> and uh, Swap the red poop deck. <laughs> uh, so, so kind of their, um, these urban legends about uh, all of these things surrounding the lightless realm and the, and the culture that it's created in this, you know, this, fantasy world so to speak it's i mean it's set in the real world but of course it's fantasy um it's really interesting and i think that's that's kind of handled well as as well it's the whole show kind of is compelling in its own way the way it kind of juggles these different elements that it's working with but it does take its time and i just watched the first three episodes you know as we do um but I think it's kind of uh, takes its time to get where it's going. And uh, I, I think the characters kind of suffer because of it. 
Um, but the premise is, is, you know, compelling enough, even though it takes a little too long to, to get going. It's nice and moody. I think the dark scenes, there are lots of dark scenes and night scenes. I think they're a bit too dark, just like aesthetically. It's not, I'm not talking about like, it's too Tim Burton for me or anything like that. Um, I think they're actually too dark. It's hard to make out what's going on sometimes. <laughs> Um, but like I said, it blends the, the horror and the Meg genres together pretty nicely. Um, although, you know, it's anime horror, so it's not that scary. Kid gloves. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it does, it does get pretty violent though. I think it does kind of cement its, its horror elements, uh, pretty well and, and plays with those tropes of, uh, not only Japanese horror, um, but also Western horror and, and, you know, the, the feeling and the atmosphere of like slasher films or monster movies and stuff like that. Um, the action's decent. Uh, you only get to watch it via this chunky CG animation style that I'm admittedly not very fond of because I'm an old man. <laughs> um, You're not that old, Cram. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, talking about the animation, it's it's pretty cheap looking. Uh, I, like I said, the, the CG looks pretty cruddy. Uh, and like I mentioned before, the dark scenes are a little bit too dark. Um, but the, the mech designs are interesting. Uh, going back to the the people behind the show, the talent behind the show, the, the mech designs are done by veteran Shoji Kawamori, who did the mech designs for Macross and the Vision of Escaflone and Pat Labor. He's worked on, like, you know, everything important right yeah, he's one of the mech people yeah, there, exactly. there are two or three that come to mind and and he's one of them for me the designs look good it's too bad they're rendered in cg though because i'm just i'm just not a fan of that um you know the music's pretty good i guess it's unremarkable overall but it's certainly not distracting enough to remember specifically so i guess you know it, being uh, non-distracting and and non-memorable is better than being super distracting and and uh, and ill-fitting, I guess. I'll take so, average over bad any day if I'm sure, not going to sure, get absolutely. great. Absolutely. Um, but I do like I I I think the show is okay. It's it's certainly not a bad show by any stretch of the imagination at all. Um, you know, in a in a slightly weaker season, I think it would pass without issue, but. This time around, I can't. I mean, it just doesn't make the cut. It's. Um, I think it's probably if you're a fan of mech shows um, and you're a fan of of kind of interesting world building, I can see how this show might end up going somewhere interesting. Um, but it's it's kind of taking its time to get there, uh, and I just don't have the time to deal with it. <laughs> so we are not passing M three. All right. Well, you know, it I think this is definitely one of those seasons where with our new our new system that shows that aren't bad are not passing. It's it's one of those we're not failing the shows, but but they're, you know, not not good enough to run with the big boys this season. Sure, sure. All right, my next show, let's see if it's good enough to run with the big boys is break blade or broken blade it's a little weird if you're trying to look up this show this show is based off of a manga that started in 2007 and that currently has 12 volumes and is still ongoing then it was booted into an anime film series that 
were released between 2010 and 2011. And there are six one-hour films. So there is a fair bit of content for this. Then they're now basically... I'm, I, I think... I believe you said you researched this, Cram, and you said that they're not rebooting the manga, but they're rebooting the films. It's like a re-edit more than, than a right. redo. As I understand it, they are taking these six films and they're cutting them up into TV-sized chunks and then adding new scenes to them. So um, I don't know what percentage of you know new and old there is in the show, but um, they're, they're taking those six movies and making it into a 12-episode series, I believe. Yeah, it, it's, it's currently slated for 12. Now, if you're looking up this show, it's a little difficult to find. It's easiest to find if you look up Break Blade instead of Broken Blade. The manga is called Broken Blade. The films are called Broken Blade. And ironically enough, during the opening sequence of the anime, on the title screen, it says Broken Blade. But the katakanago is Bureku Buredo. So right. you think break, not it's broken. It's part of the logo. It's weird because a, a lot of times, uh, I, I know that this was the case with Attack on Titan and lots of other shows. Uh, when they make the show, they will the Japanese production company will go ahead and make an official English title for exactly. the show. Yes, and they'll they'll a lot of times they will uh, they will implement it into the official logo for the show. And you know that's you know we've got that with Attack on Titan, and that's why we have you know that terrible uh, title for that show. <laughs> uh, but in the logo for Broken Blade, Break Blade, whatever it is, the katakana does say Break Blade, and the English right under it says Broken Blade. Exactly. So, <laughs> How do you mess that up? I don't know. <laughs> when I when I was watching it, when I was watching it, Mitsuki was like, "Are you sure you have the right one?" And I was like, "I'm looking at it right now." And one, it's it's the official anime title screen, and one says "break" in katakana, and the other one says "broken." I mm. I just feel like that's a them not understanding irregular verbs past tense in English. <laughs> right. Exactly. Anyways, so this anime is a reboot from movies and. The anime takes place in a world that my impression is they want us to believe it's like the far future of our world. So the descendants of this world are descended from us because they talk about an ancient civilization that relied on like fossil fuels and electrical power and diminishing resources and things like that, which... Again, my mind goes to believe that it's far future of our world, even if it's not explicitly stated. As these power sources and energy sources and whatnot were diminishing, a new power source was found, these quartz crystals. And people discovered they had the ability to manipulate the crystals with their minds, with their energy, with their will. And so then everything became developed with these crystals. So think almost I almost have it in my head that it's kind of like a rail gun for like guns and things like that but ultimately it keeps society going you have mechs you have guns you have uh, car like mobiles and all that as a result of the people's ability to manipulate these crystals using basically magic and keep society going as they know it these people who can do it are the average people. Now, there are people who cannot manipulate crystals. They're unsorcerers. And the main character of our show 
Rygart is an unsorcerer. He was born to a sorcerer and he's, I think they said it's like one in a thousand or one in a million or one in 10,000, some very small chance of having an unsorcerer child. And he really tried hard his whole life to kind of, his father really wanted him to succeed and he got sent to a very prestigious military academy. And, but of course it ultimately didn't work out because his family didn't really have the money for it. And it was hard for him to excel not being a sorcerer. But in this academy, he meets four people. He meets Sijin, he meets Zess, and he meets Hodor. No relation to Hodor. Hodor? It's H-O-D-R, Hodor. Ah. So so not quite Hodor, but very, very close. <laughs> and Hodor is a prince who becomes ultimately the king of the place. He marries Sijin. Zess becomes the general for the other army. And Rygar goes back to his farm, ultimately to be called back to the capital four years later, because Sijin, who's a top scientist researcher, discovers this mecca. She's now married to, to Hodor, and she's the queen. Discovers this mecca underground. She thinks he can pilot it because no one else can, but he's an unsorcerer, so maybe he can. So he gets sent over to the capital. Meanwhile, this other kingdom empire thing is knocking down this Hodor's kingdom, knocking down their door, trying to take over. They're way bigger and more powerful. Zess is like one of the high ups that's leading an attack. And oh yeah, we find out that if they don't surrender, the imperial, the royal family is all going to be killed. This is all the first episode. Whoa. <laughs> I have not even gotten to episode two yet. Man, that's that like the, oppo- that's the opposite of M3. <laughs> <laughs> it's like bleh of information. And the problem that I had watching the show. So right off the bat, I kind of felt a little Escaflone-esque approaching to this show. And, and in no other way than Escaflone for me is kind of that merger between mech and fantasy. And this kind of has that same feel where it feels like a fantasy world. You have sorcerers and people are wearing like pointy hood cloak things and and it feels very fantasy. And then you have, you know, powered mecha. And so it feels Escaflone-esque in that way. But the problem that I had with the show right off the bat, and this is something I don't say to anime very often, but whoa, seriously, slow down. It, it felt like, and, and probably because they're cutting down movies to do this, but it felt like, how quickly can we raise the stakes to, right. to, to make it, you know, we got a kid, his dad just died. Let's have him bring him to the capital. He's going to see his friend. Let's allude that he's in love with the girl who married the, the king, who's also his friend. Oh, let's kill them all. Let's have this enemy who's going to kill them all be also their friend. Oh, let's have this ancient mech. Let's have him be able to pilot it. It's like, whoa, slow your roll. Slow your roll. So episode two, Rygard is, of course, able to pilot this mech. And he pilots it. And one thing I will appreciate is that he it's not like he jumps in and he's like super good at it. Um, He can't read the language the mech is in. It's not like he's innate to it. He has to figure out, like, how do I grip something? And he gets his butt kicked pretty much right off the bat. So I did appreciate that. And 
episode two or three, we got a scene of this other kingdom that's encroaching. We got some politics of the world and Rygart tries to go out and parlay with Zess to try to get things called off. And and another thing I appreciated was that Zess was basically like, oh, I don't have the power in this. I'm kind of a new soldier. No one's going to really listen to me even if I tried. So the problem that I had with this anime is that it feels like movies that have been cut down. Yep. And that's I, I expected that would be the problem. <laughs> and and I actually think maybe the movies are decent. I mean, I can't say, but maybe with more time to flesh out these characters and these worlds and have not slow pacing, but a little bit of room to breathe, I don't think it would be bad. It has some interesting things going for it. But it doesn't in the anime form, it's just so much all at once. And then I think it was the second or third episode. This is what they did, Cram. Straight up. You I'm have ready. Zess, who's this general guy, and he's in his mech, and he's talking about the strategy. And then it cuts to the queen in her bed, ass in air, sleeping uh, in her underwear. And what? she doesn't say anything. It's a slow pan across her body. She sits up so you get a nice boob shot, and then it cuts back to the battlefield. Hmm. She doesn't say or do anything other than sit. And I'm like... Just just want to make sure that the audience <laughs> wants to have sex with this character. Yeah, that was basically what it was. It was like, mm. we need some we need some panties. We, yeah. just, we just, just put in the panties. Just ass. Okay, back to the rest that back to the real show. <laughs> and it's hard to respect an anime that does that. So overall, I don't think this I actually think this anime might end up being pretty good because it does seem like it has some interesting things going for it if it can get its pacing under control. But this anime is not going to pass. What we've got here is a piece of shit. That was Breakblade or Broken Blade or something, something. Whatever it's called, yeah. Something, the blade is not whole. <laughs> yeah. All right. The last anime that we are going to give an impression on is Knights of Sidonia. And I think I've already kind of betrayed how we might feel about this anime by not passing anything else, but let's jump into it. Sure. Knights of Sidonia is a space epic anime. It is based off of a manga that started in 2009 and is currently ongoing. There are 12 volumes, though, so there is a lot of material for them to work with. It's being done by Polygon Pictures. And if you haven't heard of that studio, I'm not entirely surprised. It is a Japanese 3D CG studio. And it's not completely new. They have worked on a lot of things. They did uh, work on Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. And mm. they did CG animation parts for that. And they've worked on games. They worked on Resident... They did at Resident Evil 5. They did Lollipop Chainsaw, which... Let's just look at the graphics on that one and not the gameplay. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then they've done a bunch of other TV shows. This is their first anime, as far as I can tell, their first soiree into anime, but they do have a history with CG. The director for Knights of Sidonia is Kobun Shizuno, and Shizuno was the director for Armored Core, Fort Tower Song. 
the director for some Detective Conan movies, the 15th and the 16th, and the 18th. He was the director for Hayaka Ryoran, Samurai Bride, which I'm not sure how I feel about just what that mm. sounds like. And he was a co-director for Giant Robo, the animation. So he does okay. have some some mech background and one or two. Did you just feel like doing that one, buddy? <laughs> did, did, <laughs> did that one pay the bills that month? <laughs> it a pay, it's a paycheck job. <laughs> it's a paycheck job, exactly. But he also doesn't have a wealth of titles to his name. So I would say he's not a new director, but he's definitely not someone who's seasoned that I have lots of stuff that I can say that you're going to recognize. Yeah. Knights of Sidonia, as you can guess, I think I said it already, but it is done in CG. It's done in kind of that cells shady CG that is meant to look like animation, but it's not. And I do give Knights of Sidonia some credit in that I have watched anime done in this style where I watch it and I'm like, you're not fooling anyone. You're not tricking me into thinking this is animation. And it kind of walks the line, I think, between... Yes, this is CG, and we but we want it to look a little bit like animation. And on the other side of the line, yes, this is CG, and it's not going to look like animation. So I think it kind of walks that line in the middle. But that being said, I know you, for example, Cram, I don't think you enjoyed the animation style for this at all. I didn't. I think it looks like poop. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that it grew on me. It grew on me a little. Um, I think watching it, watching it and kind of getting used to it and what it looks like is is something. But I definitely see it as something that a lot of people are going to say, oh, I don't watch Knights of Sidonia because I don't like the way it looks. And and that's fair to say. It's fair to say. I, I, you know, I, I agree with that, too. I said the same thing about ping pong. There are people that won't watch it because of how it looks. And if you can't, I mean, if you can't watch something because the way it looks bothers you that much, then don't watch it. Yeah. Like, I probably won't watch Knights of Sidonia for that reason. And and I would say give it give it two episodes maybe. And if your yeah, eyes haven't give it a shot. haven't adjusted and, and I mean you being you literally and you being random listener you, but yeah. but give it an episode or two and if you're still by the second or third episode going, I can't stand this, then yeah, please drop it because right. it's not gonna change. <laughs> yeah. So Sidonia no Kishi, or Knights of Sidonia, wastes no time. We are introduced to the world right off the bat, and the humanity has been forced into space a thousand years ago by an attack from this alien creature race. I'm not sure what the appropriate thing is to be called, but it's the Gauna, is what it's the name that humans have given it, and... That sounds like an STD. I'm just going to go on record saying it. It sounds like, like, did you get the Gauna from her? <laughs> it's, it's really... Anyways, so it's a thousand years after humans have fleed from Earth, and they are aboard massive giant spaceships that are created from the remains of Earth, which is why I guess for, there's this big rock thing on Sidonia. I actually think the Sidonia's... I think the Sidonia's design looks kind of stupid. It's, it almost looks like just a big rectangle. But on the flip side, I also kind of think, you know, if we did have to design a spaceship to get off the planet, it probably wouldn't look as cool as a lot of the designs right. we yeah, see. You, like a uh, like, uh, utilitarian, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, more and, purposeful than, what was it, uh, f- uh, 
form over no function over form that's right exactly and and i do kind of see that so i can see both ways you can look at the sidonia spaceship and hate it or see you know functionality in it yeah we meet our main character who is tanikaze nagate and nagate or tanikaze i guess i'll call him tanikaze tanikaze is someone who's been living underground in the spaceship of course the spaceship is huge and has multiple levels and and various points on it and living areas and he's been living underground and he was raised by i think it's like his uncle or it's someone who found him i'm not 100 percent sure what his relationship was but it was someone who was involved in the sidonia and then went underground himself and one of the things that this person did is they trained him in how to use the mechs of this world and the mechs are their name their name i've forgot uh gardas gardas there he trained him in piloting piloting a gardas and had like a pilot cockpit for him to train in and that was basically all he did that was all tonic as i did because of how he grew up or how he is i'm not 100 percent sure if it was because he was underground or because he is just different he isn't able to photosynthesize and <laughs> What I mean by that is on Sidonia and the other spaceships carrying the humans, I think they said it was like three or four hundred years ago, there was a large food crisis. And so they biogenetically engineered humans to adapt to photosynthesis. And now humanity only needs one meal a week to survive. And of course, sunlight, I assume, if it's true photosynthesis. Everyone in the chat is correcting me, by the way. It's his grandpa who who taught him how to pilot and lived with him underground. Uh. But either way, mentor family type person. And so he ends up coming up to the surface one day as he's trying to steal rice because he has to eat. And that's a really weird thing to have to do in this society now. And as he's brought up to the, the surface... They originally try to arrest him, basically, but he's taken under the wing of one of the, the chief and commanders of the ship. I'm not... There's, like, this council of people that I actually like that's kind of shrouded in mystery, and you're kind of not sure who controls what. But as far as I can tell, she's like the captain of the ship. And she clearly knows things about Tanikaze. And... She enrolls Tanekaze in the pilot training program. So he's enrolled in the pilot training program and he starts out and he does really, really poorly at it. And it's because the newer version of the Gardas relies more on like autopilot and automated things where the prior version didn't. It was all manual or not all manual, but a lot more. And Tanekaze was trained on an old model, basically. So once they get him into the old model... He's, you know, Superman. It's like instinct that he's done his whole life. And he gets sent out by on a mining mission because there's an asteroid nearby that has ice on it. And I assume ice being like drinking water, we can use it for that type of important things that are critical to survival. And of course, while they are on this asteroid, the first Gauna in 100 years attacks. People in the chat have said this, and I definitely can see it. It's kind of has that feel of like a sci-fi far future attack on Titan. Oh. Where it's kind of that like we're living in peace, but we know there are things out there that want to kill 
us, but isn't isn't Attack on Titan a sci-fi far future Attack on Titan? <laughs> Post-apocalyptic, isn't it? I yeah, I guess I guess it's basically you know if Attack on Titan happened in space. Ah, okay. Not, Attack on Titan in space, cool. If it didn't, if it didn't go kind of medievally esque and went mm. you know far, we're on spaceships and have photosynthesis. More techie. Yeah. More techie. And I can see that. It does have, I mean, it, it's the same. We haven't seen a, a Titan hasn't breached the wall in a hundred years. A Titan hasn't attacked the, or a, a Titan, a Ghana hasn't attacked Sidonia in a hundred years. So, so it does kind of have that correlation to it. Right off the bat in, in the first episode, we get a really good space battle. Second a- episode, we get the end of that space battle. But second and third episode, there's, maybe like half an episode that's kind of draggy i didn't think it was too bad mitsugi it made him question the anime it it focuses on um tanikaze comes back and it focuses a little bit on the characters and develops a couple of the characters before we go back out into space battle is is the sum of it I didn't think it was so bad, but in this period, we do have a festival, so we do get girls in Yukata. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> right? Right? It's it's not too over the top, and in that festival, we do have an apple on a stick where the stick gets shoved into a girl's leg, so, you know, it's, it's still got a little something to it, but, but it does kind good. of... That's good. It does kind of... Here, here's that brings me to my short list of problems with Knights of Sidonia. We did have a festival. We have a lunch cook who is a bear. I don't know why. What? I don't know why she's a bear. There's no other animals. She's a, she's a bear. Bear. A, she's a bear. <laughs> it's a woman. So not, so not as in like a large, hairy, homosexual man, like the animal. <laughs> like the animal. Bear is serving lunch. Oh my God, how can that be? Like it's a talking bear with an apron serving lunch. Mm. I don't understand why. It's just like because it's anime. And in the first three episodes, we do get two, maybe it's three and I missed one, uh, locker room scenes. Oh, good. (laughs) That are kind of like break blade where it's just like, okay. Now it's time to have a panty shot. Check. We can stay in anime. Just, just in case you didn't know what these characters' asses looked like. Yeah, right? Just Though I do I will give it credit, their spacesuits are not like the skin tight neoprene like you'll see their nipples if they get hard spacesuits. They are they do look a little more practical than that. Oh, well that's that's good. <laughs> you know, it's the little things. So as of episode three, I was pretty sold on the show, but I kind of wanted to watch an episode ahead. I know we judge based on three episodes, but a fourth episode was out at the time, and I was like, I I want to see if this show is going to be more of what I kind of thought and hoped it was going to be, or if it's going to be more lunch lady bears and panty shots. And so far, Episode four is one of the most intense episodes I've ever watched in anime. What? They don't even play. Like that episode is ridiculous. Is it like, is it like Titan episode four or five or whatever that one is? Uh, what Titan? You... <laughs> I'll just I'll just say mass could casualties. You com- could you compare it to that? <laughs> 
uh, mass casualties. Just oh, so yes. Oh, there's a this does have a lot in co- <laughs> common with a uh, yeah, right. Titan, it seems, but. Episode four and five really put my faith back in it because they just brought it right back to that place of just that really gritty, like, we're we're trying to, to survive and we have to do what we have to do. And sometimes that means people are going to die. And that's just how it is. And and I appreciate that that desperation, that like lost hope of we're stuck in space and there's this thing out there with us and we just have to do what we have to do. And an episode Four into five is is really good. And now I'm getting out of impression phase. And I'll I'll stop myself there. <laughs> but the first three episodes are super solid. They're they're enough to to put faith in the show, but the show kind of sticks to what I hoped it was, which is gonna be an epic space battle. And and that that I think is the reason why it's going to pass. It's gonna be our final passing show. Knights well, of Sidonia or Sidonia. Well, no except for the um, uh, user pick, the listener's choice. Yes, except for the listener's choice. We now have our eight passing shows to review. We have passed Baby Steps, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Captain Earth, Ishukon Friends, Ping Pong the Animation, Black Bullet, Mushishi, and now... Rounding out the list is Knights of Sidonia. So sometime here in the next week, maybe by the time this hits iTunes, to be honest, or at least shortly thereafter, we're going to have a poll on the side of our website on the front page and in or a link to the poll probably because there are too many anime and it'll push everything far down. But a link to the poll on our front page where you get to pick our ninth and final episode. I know I had people out there who were hoping for no game no life obviously on this show there were a couple of you listeners who thought the world is so beautiful was going to pass and i'm sure there are multiple other shows that didn't pass that you want to pass so this is this is your chance to influence the animatics anonymous podcast cool as always you can find us at www.aaapodcast.com iTunes don't forget to drop us a rating on iTunes especially if you liked us facebook.com forward slash anime addicts anonymous podcast and twitter.com forward slash aaa podcast where I think cram normally treat tweets live from the show or whatnot mm-hmm. as we're doing this thing so but if you can remember aaapodcast.com you can find links to all of those We broadcast live every Saturday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Ustream.tv. Thank you, all of you who joined us in the live chat. It was a pleasure as always. Taking us out tonight is the song Ame Furashi no Uta, Beautiful Rain, from the anime Sore Demo Seikaiwa Utsukushi by the artist Reina Maeda. (laughs) Butchered that name. You did it. (laughs) My my speaking has finished, and with that, the show. (laughs) Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.
降らせよ姫世は雨を消耗する雨降らしは手品じゃない世界は征服すべきものふざけ